So um, you may remember if you were here this past winter, particularly Freedom Weekend, but I ask the Lord every year for a, a verse, a scripture to live by for the year. And once I know, okay, this is it, this is my verse for the year, I actually, I get it tattooed on my forearm so that I can remember it, so that I can look at it, and I can just be reminded constantly, these are God's words for Justin, for me in 2018. And as your student pastor, when God gives me a word, by default, it's going to impact you. It's going to impact what we talk about in small groups. It's going to impact what we talk about in our sermon. So this year, he gave me two passages in Isaiah chapter 4, passage 1, and 32, passage number 2. I shared those with you at Freedom. I want to repeat one of them to you now. Isaiah chapter 32 begins like this. Look, a righteous king is coming, and honest princes will rule under him. Now, each one will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert, the shadow of a great rock in a parched land. Then everyone who has eyes will be able to see the truth, and everyone who has ears will be able to hear it. This passage that God has spoken and impressed upon me for 2018, he is speaking and impressing upon you for 2018, and God is calling the Woods Edge Student Ministry into a season of honesty. Look, a righteous king is coming, and honest princes, honest princesses will rule underneath the king, Jesus. Jesus is looking for people who will be honest because honesty leads to revival. Truth leads to transformation. If you have a tough spot in your life, be honest about it, be truthful about it, and God will rescue you, refresh you. He will revive you. So Monday morning, last week, I'm sitting at Starbucks, having my quiet time, and I just asked the Lord, what do you want me to talk about to the students on Sunday? And I just opened my Bible, and remember, I'm just now thinking about honesty, and I opened to Jeremiah chapter 5, and we're going to walk through that whole chapter this morning. And it starts like this, run up and down every street in Jerusalem, says the Lord, look high and low, search throughout the city, and if you can find even one just and honest person, I will not destroy the city. But even when they are under oath saying, as surely as the Lord lives, they are still telling lies. Lord, you are searching for honesty. The people in this passage were God's kids. They knew who God was. They claimed that they loved him and would obey him. And God is saying, they've gone so far, I can't even find one that still tells the truth. And even when they make a promise in my name, they're still lying. These people called themselves God's kids, but they were dishonest. Um, honesty is so important to God. I mean, it's three times it's mentioned in these three verses. And if you, if I, are being dishonest with the people in your life, if you or I are being dishonest with ourselves, and if you or I are being dishonest with 
not being forthright with the truth, with hiding the truth about something you're wrestling with, you need to remember that God is God and I am not, that God created me, that God is my Father. So when I'm lying or hiding truth from anyone, the main person I'm lying to and the main person I'm hiding the truth from is God. So when you lie to your parents about whether or not you did your homework or did your chores, you need to remember you're also lying to God. When I'm dishonest with Brooke by saying I'll be home at 4, even though I know I'm not going to be home until 5, it's a little white lie, doesn't really hurt anybody. You know what? I'm being dishonest. And I'm being dishonest not only with my wife, but with the Lord. So, what's God's response when not just people, but his kids, people that say, I belong to Jesus, what's his response when they're dishonest? Well, it says right here, you struck your people, but they paid no attention. You crushed them, but they refused to be corrected. They are determined with faces set like stone, and they have refused to repent. You guys, throughout your life, you're going to see this, you're going to you might acknowledge it even though you might not embrace it, but God disciplines those that he loves. And if you've ever been caught doing anything wrong, as bad as that might feel and as unfortunate as the circumstances of whatever you got caught doing might be, when we get caught, it's because God loves us and God disciplines those that he loves. If you're getting away with something and nobody's noticing and nothing's going wrong for you, that should concern you because God disciplines those that he loves. And if you've been disciplined, when you get caught doing something wrong, especially when it comes to lying or being dishonest, it's because you're loved. It's because God loves you. And then these people were getting caught. They were being disciplined. They were being corrected. And it said they still ignored God. They refused to repent. And you guys know the definition of repentance is to change the way that we think. Why were, they why were they refusing to be corrected? Why were these people refusing to receive discipline? It's because they had tricked themselves into thinking, I'm my own God. I can do whatever I want. I know God's up there sitting on his cloud, but he's not really concerned with me. I can just do whatever I want. I can think whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. It doesn't have to line up with scripture because, man, I just want to do what makes me happy. And that is foolish thinking, and that is wrong thinking, and that is thinking that will ultimately get you hurt. Um, I want you guys to pull out pen and paper, and I want you guys, I'm going to ask you a question or two that's just between you and the Lord to keep in front of you as we continue through this sermon. But it is a brand new day today, and we are at the beginning of a brand new season, the spring, um, and I want you to just ask the Lord, unless you already are thinking of what it is, but where are you being dishonest in your life? It could be something you're being dishonest about with regard to not admitting you have a problem. It could be something you're being dishonest about where you've got a secret and you're hiding it from your friends or from your family. It could be something where you just don't like something about who God is or what he's had to say in the Bible, and you're just really not owning it. But right now, I'm just going to say a quick word of prayer, and something is going to come to you, and I just want you to write it down right at the top of your card. But Jesus, you are the God of 
truth. And everything that you say and everything this book says is true and reliable forever. It never changes. You never change. And so we ask, Lord, God of truth, would you stir in this room and stir in our hearts? Where am I being dishonest with you? Bring something to mind and help me address it today. Amen. All right. If nothing has come to you yet, just keep listening because it will. So the scripture goes on. The prophet who's saying this message to the people. Then I said, God, what can we expect from the poor? They're ignorant. They don't know the ways of the Lord. They don't understand God's laws. He's basically saying, Lord, these people, they don't read the Bible. They don't really know who you are with a clear understanding And so what can we expect from them? Of course they're going to do wrong. Of course they're going to be dishonest. And then he says, I will go and speak to their leaders. Surely they know the ways of the Lord and understand God's laws. But the leaders too, as one man, they had thrown off God's yoke. They had broken his chains. Even the leaders were like, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to lie to ourselves and everybody we know because it enables us to do what we want to do. So now, a lion from the forest will attack them. A wolf from the desert will pounce on them. I almost made, I'm going to do it anyway. Pounce on them. It's just fun to do. A leopard will lurk near their towns, tearing apart any who dare to venture out, for their rebellion is great. And their sins are many. You guys, you know that just a year plus ago, we had our our most recent presidential election. And I'm looking around at the leaders that America has offered up for us to choose from. And I'm just like, are you serious? Is this the best that America has to offer a liar and a fool? That's my choice. But there are just a great deficit in the good strong, visible leaders that we have to look up to and say, I want to be like that person. Donald Trump, the president of the United States of America, this highest level in the land for a government, and I'm looking at him and I'm like, I don't want my kid to be like that. Hillary Clinton, first serious female candidate for the presidency of the United States, and like every other thing that comes out of her mouth is just a lie. I don't want my daughter to be like that. You guys, we are in just a desperate shortage of just strong, good, godly leaders, not even just in politics, but even in the pulpit, some of the biggest, most well-known churches in the land. You got pastors and people in leadership that are just doing stupid stuff, misrepresenting the gospel. I I hurt for you and for myself that we don't have better leaders to look up to in this day and age. And the reason why I think God is calling you the students of Wood's Edge, to more, to be honest, to be like shelters to people, to be like a cool drink of water on a hot day by telling the truth. The reason he's calling you to that is because your leaders are setting a horrible example and he's saying, you guys got to do better than the people that have come before you. I want my kids to have a stronger faith and a deeper relationship with Jesus than I do. 
Like, I want more for them, and God wants more for, not from, for every one of you in this room. And again, thank God that he loves us enough that God will break your heart in order to save your soul. God will allow you to walk through some tough stuff as a result of deceit, dishonesty, because he loves you. What's the lion? What's the wolf? What's the leopard that God says that will attack these people in response to their sin and their dishonesty? I think, simply, it could, it could be just the consequences of their sins. God's not all about walking around looking for ways to punish his kids in horrible ways. He just lets them reap what they sow. When you get in trouble for something you did, that's not God punishing you. That's the result of a bad decision, of not telling the truth. I want you to hear me when I say this. No one in this room will ever escape God's grace. No one in this room can do something so wrong or so many things wrong that you will escape the ability to be forgiven by a holy God because he loves you and he sent his son to die on the cross for you. However, we can all escape God's protection. You can't escape his forgiveness, but we can escape his protection. How can I pardon you? For even your children have turned from me. They have sworn by gods that are not gods at all. I fed my people until they were full, and they thanked me by committing adultery and lining up at the brothels. They are well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. Should I not punish them for this, says the Lord? Should I not avenge myself against such a nation? Go down the rows of the vineyards and destroy the grapevines, leaving a scattered few alive. Strip the branches from the vines, for these people do not belong to the Lord. The people of Israel, the people of Judah, my kids, and that's me and you, they are full of treachery against me, says the Lord. They have lied about the Lord, and they have said to themselves and others, God won't bother us. God doesn't care about my little sin. God doesn't care that I am not being honest with my friends, my family, myself. No disaster will come on me. Nothing bad will happen to me. I'll never be homeless. I'll never get cancer. Nothing big and bad will ever happen to me as a result of my sin. In fact, God's prophets, his pastors, his preachers are all just windbags who don't really speak for him. Let their predictions of disaster fall on themselves. Here's God's kids basically saying, he has blessed us and he doesn't care about us and we can do whatever we want and we can say whatever we want. We can lie to everybody and nothing bad will happen. And when Pastor Justin gets up on stage and says, you guys, that's not the way it is, we will laugh at him as we leave and just think he doesn't know what he's talking about. The Old Testament, that was, that was for the people before. Not only are we living in a generation that ignores God's discipline. But according to this passage, you and I, we're still living in a generation of people who ignore even God's blessings. And when we ignore God's discipline, and when we ignore God's blessings, the result is the same thing that happens when one of you ignore your parents' discipline and take for granted your parents' blessings. We get spoiled and greedy. I had a friend named Jared growing up, 
And he had a tough situation at home, and his parents had something take place in their lives that broke them, and they just no longer knew how or had a desire to discipline Jared. And because they were so broken, they gave Jared whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, no matter what he did, no matter his attitude, and they spoiled him rotten. And he was just a bad kid. I mean, I loved him. He is and was my friend, but he was spoiled, and it made him greedy, and he was rude to everyone, and he just took whatever he wanted because nobody disciplined him, and nobody blessed him. Sorry. Nobody disciplined, and he only got blessed. And that's the generation we're living in. No discipline, and yet blessings beyond measure. And that creates spoiled, greedy kids. And when we're spoiled and when we're greedy, we quickly forget, as these people did, who God is, and we quickly forget who God created us to be, and we quickly forget that, man, God is God, and I'm not. And we can become so bratty and so spoiled that we even mock God's messengers. Do you ever mock God's messengers? Um, You can mock God's messenger by ignoring what they have to say, and I would say for me and for you, the best example of that is, how often are you reading your, your Bible? If you just rarely ever even open it, if you just kind of glance at it, if you just don't even look at it, you are ignoring the message of God, and so you and I are just as guilty as these people of mocking God's messengers. Um, If you ignore what, what I say to you up here or what your small group leader says to you, you are mocking God's messenger. Um... If you distract other people while you're in service by giggling and laughing and, and keeping their attention off of God, you got to remember, man, you're not just being rude to the speaker, but you're ignoring God and you're causing somebody else to stumble in that. And God takes those things seriously. Um, I would ask this question for you guys. Just by your friends looking at you, do you think that if your friends look at you, do you think that if I came to your school or your street and talked to some of your friends that they would say, yes, their life points to God? Or would they say, their life is really a lot like mine and I don't believe in God? There's a quote that I, that I, that I hate to love and it says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. And I disagree with that quote. I think the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people that God doesn't exist, that God no longer cares, that God is still not in the business of blessing and discipline those that he loves. And day after day, we, on some level, are probably refusing to seek God, to listen to God, to obey God, or even even notice God. I walk around outside in springtime, and I'm just like, there's God in that flower. There's God in that branch. There's God in that turtle I found in my backyard. Like, God is everywhere for me during this season, and I I hope he is for you because he's just impossible to miss. But the only reason I recognize him is because I recognized him here in this book of truth first. God's patience with us being dishonest about who he is and who he made us to be God's patience with me or you hiding stuff and lying about stuff will only last so long. If you are in a season or have something in your life where you're just being blatantly dishonest, this is for you. And he's speaking it with love. But he says, this is what the Lord of God, the Lord God of heaven's army says, because the people are talking like this, my message will flame out of your mouth and burn the people like kindling wood. You guys, this is how 
the prophet felt talking to people that just didn't seem to care. And this is how I feel sometimes talking to you guys. How Kalen felt the other week when he's talking to you about sex and some of you guys were just like, don't want to hear it. Like sometimes I just want to get off this stage and grab some of you by the shoulders and be like, oh my God, don't you get it? Like your eternity is on the line. Your representation of God is on the line. Your blessings are about to just, just be swept away. And I don't want that for you. God wants to bless you. God wants to protect you. And the prophet is like, I'm, I, just, my, I hurt for my people. I want them to get it. Um, God, your pastor, your small group leaders, and the Bible doing the best we can to speak the truth in love and it's, it's, it's sad when we just ignore it. I mean, this, you remember I've told you this book, the Hebrew word for Bible is mikra, and that's translated as crying out. This book is crying out to every one of us all day, every day with answers, with ways to protect ourselves, with ways to be blessed, with ways to overcome temptation, and we just ignore it. It reminds me of the first time that I ever disciplined Charlotte, right? Rebels from birth so to speak, but the first time I disciplined Charlotte, she was two, maybe three years old, I forget, we're sitting around the dinner table, and she did something that she knew she wasn't supposed to do, and so I reached across, and I just lightly but firmly smacked her hand, and I said, no, and she looked at me like, who do you think you are, and she smacked me back, and I'm like, oh no, and so I smacked her hand again stronger, and I looked at her, and I said, no, and she swung at me with a closed fist. And that's our attitude toward God when he disciplines us, when he corrects us. And we're like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have, what right do you have to correct me, God? Right? But that's our attitude when we read something in the Bible we don't like. Or when we hear Pastor Justin say, actually, that is a sin. And we're like, oh, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about because Instagram said different. Or worse, it reminds me of the time that my mom spanked me. I, I used to get spanked by my mom and my, and my dad. And uh, my mom spanked me one time, and I'm sure I deserve it, but I have no idea what it was for. But I was 16 years old, taller than my mom, and she dragged me from my friends in the kitchen to the back bedroom, put me over her knee, and I'm like, what do you think you're doing? And she proceeds to just wail on my behind so much that I start laughing at her, like gut-wrenching, like, <laughs> and she thought I was crying and said, I hope you learned your lesson. And I'm like, <laughs> and just walked away in absolute disrespect and not really, I don't even remember what the lesson was. I just laughed at her discipline and took advantage of that moment. And we do the same thing. People will accuse you if you stand up for your faith regarding what this book says of being like living in the dark ages. And if you let them influence you instead of this book influence you, it's like it's laughing at God along with the people that laugh at God. Oh, Israel. Oh, Woods Edge Student Ministry. I will bring a distant nation against you, says the Lord, and it is a mighty nation, an ancient nation, a people whose language you do not know, whose speech you cannot understand, and their weapons are deadly, and their warriors are mighty, and they will devour the food of your harvest, they will devour your sons and daughters, they will devour your flocks and herds, they will devour your grapes and figs, and they will destroy your fortified towns, which you think are so safe. 
What is this nation that God allows to come that he brings against his kids when they are just so disobedient? They have for so long just said no. What's this nation that he brings against them? I think it could be three different things, sometimes all the same, but it could be circumstantial. It could just be the nation that's coming is you're about to pay for the things you've been doing wrong, and it's not God punishing you. It's just the consequences of your sin. I got a friend right now who's in trouble for a a sin, for some dishonesty, and he's in trouble with the law. And it could result in monster fines. It could result in time in jail. And it's not God punishing him. It's just we have to be mindful of the fact that when we sin, when we lie, when we're dishonest, that consequences happen. Sometimes it's the sin, it's the lie that God uses to bring us to him. And we like, God, I give you my faith and I'm going to follow you forever because I know how far I've gone from truth. Please save me. And he's like, boom, done. But we still have to pay for the consequences of what we did before. Just because I got drunk and wrecked my car and maybe hurt somebody and then gave my life to Jesus doesn't mean I'm still not in trouble with the law. So the nation God could be allowing to come at you will be the consequences of your continual dishonesty, my continual lying to myself or others. So that could be a nation that God brings. Another nation could be spiritual. When we knowingly step outside of God's will, right? I'm up here, I'm safe, I'm high, nothing. But when I knowingly step outside of God's will and do what I know he said not to do, um, I'm stepping outside of his protection, and God's protection is vast and great and amazing, and it's physical, and it's emotional, and it's spiritual. And sometimes God's protecting you from stuff you don't even know is there. When I knowingly stepped outside of God's protection and went and got high and drunk with a friend of mine, when I swore to God that I never would again, there was this night where it felt like he just pulled the veil back, and I was aware There were all these demons in this room that I was in as I was blatantly disobeying God, as I was blatantly lying to myself that, oh, he'll never punish me. I've been doing this for years. And he pulled the veil back, and I saw the spiritual enemy that was accompanying my sin. Do you think there's not a spiritual influence to that thing that tempts you? Do you think that that's all in your mind when you're like, oh, my God, I cannot not do this right now? You have a spiritual enemy. And when we knowingly step out of God's protection, it's like we are giving the enemy permission to mess with us. Um, And then the nation could be a literal nation. We've taught on Revelation last fall, and we're probably going to get back into it soon this spring. But um, God allows war to reshape a nation's heart. There's a quote out there that's like, there's no, there's no unbelievers in a foxhole. Like when war comes, churches fill up, right? When things get the, the, their very worst, that's when people are like, oh my goodness, this is real and I need help. And Revelation promises there's war coming with the end times, which we've talked about this fall. They, they could be right around the corner. But there's war coming greater than any other war we've ever seen. I mean, nations are armed now to a degree they've never been armed before with weapons that can wipe out not just an army, but a city, a state. And God says that will happen when the end times come. And for me, that's a little late to be coming to God saying, please protect me. We need to be obeying those little things now. So when those big things come, we're already solid in our faith. We already are confident that God's got our back. So 
when God says, I will allow some stuff to come at you, it could be your circumstances, it could be spiritual stuff, and it could be a literal, awful, big-scale thing, even war. I mean, how long do you think God will let America continue to say one nation under God when we are clearly not one nation but split right down the middle and hardly any of us are going to church anymore? This is big stuff, you guys. And it might feel heavy for a student ministry sermon, but you are the next generation that God is looking to to lead your families, your friends, your schools, your workplaces, and this nation back to God. You have a big task in front of you. I'm excited for you, but you need to be honest about those things you're wrestling with now in order to usher in that revival then. We invite discipline. We invite correction when we knowingly disobey the Lord. In those days, I will not completely blot you out, says the Lord. And when your people ask, why did the Lord our God do all of this to us? Why are all these bad things happening? You must reply, you rejected him. And you gave yourselves to foreign gods in your own land. And now you will serve foreigners in a land that is not your own. The consequences of our sin can be very great sometimes. And I'm sure some of you guys know that from experience. I certainly do. And how do we reject God? It says we give ourselves over to idolatry. So what's our idol? Do you have an idol in your life? I'll, I'll define what an idol is. It's anything that you put before God in your life. If this is God right here, if there's anything that's before him, this is an idol. It's anything that's more important to us than our relationship with God. And I'll be honest, I look around the room and I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, there's a lot. There's a lot in my life that could be considered an idol. Um, be honest with yourself right now in your own seat, but is there anything more important to you than God right now today in your life? And I would say, you spend more time on this than you do in the Word, be careful. This could be an idol. I mean, hours, a day. This is an idol. Um, is your reputation more important to you? What people think about you, is that more important to you than God and your relationship with him? Is doing what makes you happy more important to you, more important to me than doing what I know God is pleased by? If the answer to any of those is yeah, then you need to watch out. You need to be careful. You got some stuff like I do to work on because that's called idolatry. And again, I ask you guys to be honest, but what do you spend more time doing? And I'm asking myself this question too. And this is a scripture that God told me to talk about with you guys, so you need to hear it, and I need to hear it. But what do I spend more time doing? Reading my Bible or looking at social media? What do I spend more time doing? Investing in my relationship with Jesus or watching Netflix? What do I spend more time doing and talk about with my friends? Pursuing the Lord and serving him or playing video games? Um, do I look at scripture and obsess about it and just like delight in it more or less than looking at naked pictures online? What we look at, what we listen to matters. I used to only watch horror movies with my mom. That was like our thing. And I grew up into adulthood being so afraid of the dark because what I looked at and what I listened to mattered. And what you were looking at 
and what you are listening to makes a difference in how your brain thinks, which is why God says, I know you're immersed in a culture of lies, so read truth, spend time in truth. Here's the end of the scripture. Make this announcement to Israel and say this to Judah. Listen, you foolish and senseless people. I deserve that. With ears that do not hear and eyes that do not see, have you no respect for me? Why don't you tremble in my presence? I, the Lord, define the ocean's sandy shoreline as an everlasting boundary that the waters cannot cross. And the waves may toss and roar, but they cannot pass the boundaries that I set. And yet, my people have stubborn, rebellious hearts, and they have turned away from me, and they have abandoned me. They do not say from the heart, let us live in awe of God. For he gives us rain each spring and fall, assuring us of blessings when the time is right. And yet your wickedness, your sin, your dishonesty has deprived you of these wonderful blessings. Your sin has robbed you of good things. I love this, and I'm probably going to talk about this little passage next week, but I love that even the ocean obeys God. Even the ocean obeys the the Lord, and yet here I am, God's kid, continually abandoning the boundaries of God's love that are only there to keep me safe and to make sure I am blessed. And what happens when the ocean goes beyond the boundary lines? Disaster, right? Right? Tsunami, flooding, death, destructions, possessions lost, property destroyed, lives over. I'm going to break it down and give you one final illustration of what this, this passage is really talking about when it comes to being honest and enjoying God's discipline and enjoying God's blessing. Show me my picture of my backyard. I took this last night. My backyard is looking sweet, so I've been working on it a lot. So over here on the left are the stairs that go up, and we got a fridge in there, and we got food, and we got drink, and we got all kinds of stuff that you would need. We got AC if you need it. And then you got my deck here in the lower left corner with lots of places to sit and a chiminea to enjoy. And then out there you got the green grass, and I got fruit trees, and I've got a garden there, and I got a trampoline, and I got a fun little shed that's mostly empty. I've got a fort that I've built for my kids, and then I've got some shrubs in front of the side of the house. Like I got a lot going on in my backyard. And I've really built my backyard and kind of cultivated my backyard as a space specific so that my kids can enjoy it. That is their playground. I mean, they got a fort, they got a house to play in, they got a garden to watch and learn how things grow and live, they've got a yard to throw the ball in, they get to enjoy burning stuff in the chimney, not outside. But they've got all kinds of places to play and enjoy themselves in in my backyard because I built that backyard for my kids because I love my kids. And I warn my kids throughout the year, particularly now with regard to some things, I warn my kids because I love my kids regarding potential dangers. And there are rules when it comes to hanging out on the tree that's behind the stairs Because the tree behind the stairs has this monster crack in it, and it's giant, and it's already leaning, and it's beautiful, and it might stand for another 50 years, but it could also just fall. And so the rule is, regarding that tree that's in my yard, don't climb on that tree, don't play under that tree, just to be safe. Why do I warn them that they could die because of that tree? 
climbing on it because I love them and I'm trying to keep safe. There's rules for running on the deck because the deck is old and there's um, like a slipperiness to it naturally. And so when it rains, it's super slippery. And so there's rules when it comes to playing on the deck when it's wet because I don't want my kids to fall and hit their head and bleed out. It'd be bad. There's rules during this time of year because it's getting warmer outside and all the snakes that live underground are coming up and some of them are poisonous. Every year I kill one or two copperheads in my backyard and there's rules that when you see a snake, you don't touch it, but you come and tell me because I want to keep my kids safe. They are free to enjoy themselves in a variety of ways, to enjoy the blessings of the backyard that I made for them, just for them to enjoy and the rules are there to protect them and to ensure that they stay blessed and don't get hurt. But if my kids leave the backyard, if they disobey the rules, they're going to get hurt in a variety of ways that I can't control. If they knowingly walk outside of the backyard, well, there's a lot of things that can happen. Um, on the side of our, our yard is an easement, and people sometimes ride four-wheelers. I mean, I've seen... Teenagers driving cars through the grass at like 40 miles an hour just once, but it was ridiculous. And so my kids can get hurt when they step outside the boundaries of my safe place that I made for them. There's a homeless dude that lives about a half mile from my house. He lives on the creek right here in the woodlands. Nobody hardly knows he's there. Brooke and I have taken food and dropped it off for him. He's not bothering anybody, but I don't know him. I don't know what's wrong or right with him, and I don't need my kids wandering down to the creek and encountering this gentleman. He could get scared. He could hurt them. He could, at the very least, freak them out. So there's rules. They need to stay inside the fence. Um, sometimes the neighbors down the way have some monster dogs, and they get out, and they don't look very nice. And I can't protect my kids when they're out beyond my protection doing their own thing, so they need to stay in the yard. And I need us to start thinking of God's word that way, of God's um, message that way, of God's warnings that way. It's not because he's oppressive. It's because he's trying to protect us and he's trying to keep us safe and he's trying to ensure that we get to enjoy the blessings of living inside of the life he's carved out. But when we are dishonest, when we lie, we step outside of God's protection and bad things can happen. And I will spank my kids for disobeying me because a spanking is less than a bite from a snake, a mauling by a dog, a kidnapping, getting run over by a car. It's not that bad. I would prefer to spank them than having one of those happen. So when you are disciplined, when you get in trouble, you need to remember, I'd rather have this than, than be dead. God would rather have that for you than be dead. Because God loves us, and I love my kids, and I will discipline them because I love them, because I would rather break their heart for an afternoon with a whooping than lose them forever. When we lie to God and others and ourselves, we step outside of his protection. And so our final question as we wrap up our sermon is this. Why should I be honest? Why should I obey the Lord? Because when we're honest about what we're going through, we avoid discipline, we enjoy blessings, and we're used to help others. I want to read our life verse to us one last time as we wrap up and Dwight and the crew take the stage. Look, a righteous king, Jesus Christ, is coming. And honest princes, and honest 
princesses. That's how God sees you guys. Royalty will rule under him. And each one of you, when you're honest, will be like a shelter from the wind. You will be like a refuge to other people in storm. You will be like a stream of water in the desert, a shadow of a great rock in a parched land. When you are honest about who God is and who he created you to be, when we are honest and we tell the truth, period, God says, then everyone who has eyes will be able to see me. And everyone who has ears will be able to hear me. Your lives, your story is bigger than you know. And your sin affects more than just you. God is looking at every one of you in this room today and saying, I desire amazing things for you, through you. And it starts by being honest. As your pastor, I am inviting you, I am calling you into a season where you guys will just be honest. In your small group, when they ask, what are you wrestling with this week? Like, open up and share what's really going on. When people ask you why you believe in Jesus, be honest, don't shy away, don't cringe. If you see your friends clearly walking into trouble, love them enough to speak up and be honest and say, watch out. That's love. So I'm inviting you guys. Let's walk into this season God is calling us into of just being honest. And I guess, and I'm wagering that the reason God wanted me to talk about this thing called honesty today was because all of us in this room have something we can be more honest about. All of us in this room have something we can ask God to help us with when it comes to just telling the truth. And I just want to invite you to bow your heads, card and paper in hand, but maybe we would just write or speak or whisper a personal prayer to God this morning, wherein we ask that he would help us get into our word, where he would help us tell the truth, where he would help us just be honest, man, I'm really wrestling over here and I don't know what to do. God can't help you. I can't help you. A paramedic can't help you unless you say, it hurts here. I need help here. Be honest with the Lord. I invite you guys to use our worship time to maybe write a prayer, to come up and enjoy communion and bring the tithe, or just to declare the lyrics on the screen as your prayer over the week. But God is calling us to honesty, and not just for this afternoon, because I talked about it today, but for the rest of the semester, for the rest of our lives. Let's be honest, people. Let's see what happens. I guarantee it can only be good.